And now we're going to come into a time of hearing God's word. And we have a very special guest uh, who is going to be sharing the word with us today. His name is Randy Patton. He is a, a dear friend of the Clayton Valley Church family. Uh, if you aren't aware of Randy's ministry, he has served for decades in various contexts as a pastor, uh, as a pastor to pastors. Um, he actually is one, a part of the founding board of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and he's contributed to the three books that they've published. Uh, he and his wife, Cindy, have been married for 44 years. They've got two adult married kids. They've got six grandkids. Um, Cindy's not with us now, but when she's here, we also love getting time with her, too. They're just a, a dear couple. They love the Lord. And the thing about Randy that I appreciate so much is he has so much wisdom after all these years of being involved in the lives of people and using the scriptures to care for them. Uh, he has the theological depth, but he also has the tender heart of a shepherd. And that's rare today. So Clayton Valley Church family, let's welcome Randy Patton. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Pastor Chris, and good morning, everybody. It's a wonderful privilege uh, for me to be back here at Clayton Valley. And as he mentioned, some of you maybe are new, and um, I've been invited back several times. It's come to the point now that uh, when he, Chris and I are communicating and he invites me back another time, after I get the email, I run upstairs and say to my wife, you won't believe it, Chris invited me back one more time. And... Uh, so, but it's just such a joy. I've just developed a real fondness for your church, and I just enjoy being here. So you're so, I'm always treated so kindly and graciously. And I want to again say my appreciation to the musicians. Um, just every time, it just seems like they do such a wonderful job ministering to me. And um, I find myself thinking, you know, if a guy can't preach after that, something's bad wrong with him. And uh, so, and thank you for your singing. I just love hearing the congregation. Sometimes I get to be even in my own church, but in other churches where the, the music is amplified so much and the singers are amplified so much, you can't hear anybody around you. But here I enjoy, at least where I was sitting, that I could hear the congregation singing. And that was, that was just such a blessing uh, to me. So thank you for that. And one other thing, I want to thank you that right after... Pastor Andrew did that tremendous lesson with all those wonderful kids that somebody didn't stand up and say, how many of us like to have Pastor Andrew do another lesson with the kids instead of Randy preaching this morning? And uh, that didn't take place. So I'm thankful for that. That was just a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Well, I want to talk with you this morning on the subject of biblical principles regarding personal and family finances. Our country is certainly going through some turbulent times with COVID, but all of the repercussions that are coming from that. And one of the ripple effects of the COVID pandemic has been the impact it's had on finances. And what I'm going to ask you to do as we get started, I'm going to ask if you would <clears throat> to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture and I've got it uh, highlighted in my Bible. I would encourage you to consider doing that in your Bible. So turn there or uh, turn to it in the device that you're using. And notice what the scripture says about itself. It's talking about the word of God. 
And let's think about it before we jump into this particular subject. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they're righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. What I want you to consider as we're thinking this morning about biblical principles regarding personal family finances, that the Bible says about itself that it makes wise the simple. So if you've been foolish in the way you've handled money or you've mismanaged it, coming to the scripture and paying attention to biblical principles can help you to become wise. Verse 8 says, the following God's word leads to rejoicing the heart. And that has been my experience in this area, as I'll mention in just a moment. And verse 10 says that the teaching of the scripture helps us to get our priorities in line so that God's ways become more satisfying than our things, than our possessions. And then verse 11, one that I'd like just to have you focus on, it says, in keeping his word, there is great reward. And meaning, since we're talking about financial things, there's a great return on investment, ROI. There's a great return on investment with the time and energy you give to understanding God's word and applying it to your life. And then it says also that in keeping your ways, there is great reward. And this includes following God's ways in the area of money. Let me take just a moment to give a bit of a personal testimony. Uh, Cindy and I did not have the benefit of good biblical premarital counseling. If we had had that, it could have helped us avoid a lot of heartache, I think. And that's part of what has motivated me to be so committed to helping to train biblical counselors and pastors particularly to do good premarital, premarital counseling. But in the good providence of God, uh, as a young couple, uh, in the early months of our marriage, we ended up in a church <clears throat> where that church um, had a custom, and the custom was that every January they had what was called Stewardship Month. And the pastor would teach and preach on being a good steward of your time, being a good steward of your talent, but also being a good steward of your treasure. And as we received teaching on being a good steward and getting started, and I'm in seminary, and she's just getting started in her career as a teacher, and we've got all the initial expenses and the financial challenges of being uh, students and so forth, and getting marriage started and everything, as we were taught those principles and sought to apply them, it became such a wonderful blessing to us. And every year that we were in that church, <clears throat> we looked forward to the annual stewardship month because of just how much we learned, how much biblical wisdom we gained 
that really helped us in that area of life where so many individuals struggle, particularly in the early years of the marriage. Uh, A few years later, I was called to be the pastor of the Westridge Baptist Church across town from that church I was telling you about. And so as the senior pastor and one who can kind of set the traditions, I said, okay, we're going to start having our own stewardship month. And though our congregation was small, every year we devoted one month to teaching what the Bible says about being a good steward and how you view time, what the Bible says about using the gifts and abilities that you have And also, what the Bible teaches about handling material assets, your treasures in life. And um, one of the things that I started doing after doing that for a year or two, I saw that people's lives were just being transformed because the world's thinking in many of these areas is contrary to what the Scripture emphasizes. But as people heard and obeyed the Bible, wonderful things happened. And so, as the Stewardship Month was rolled around, I would schedule people to give testimonies of how, because of what they had learned in previous Stewardship Months from the Scriptures, as they applied it to their lives, uh, the good things that had happened in their life. And for many years, I said that the best sermons ever preached at the Westridge Baptist Church were during Stewardship Month by the people giving testimonies. As they talked about how their lives had been benefited, as they came to this uh, subject and obeyed uh, the scripture. Another thing I noticed after several years is that as I began tracking it, consistently our church saw more people saved during stewardship month than we did in any other month of the year. And as I pondered that and tried to think, why is that? I think the answer is it's because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can turn that around. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. And when we started, I've concluded that when we start talking about our treasure, we're about 18 inches away from our heart. In our wallet to our heart, to the real priorities. And I just want you to know that from a personal standpoint, as a couple, as a family, and then also just as a pastor, verse 11 has been true. Moreover, by these things your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So with that bit of, a, of an introduction, let me d- just talk with you about what the Bible teaches about four key areas dealing with money and its management. One area that the Bible talks about is this matter of receiving And there's multiple things I'd like you to consider on this. If you're going to think biblically about money and assets and possessions, those are the kind of things we're talking about. First, you need to settle the ownership question. You need to settle the ownership question. And settling the ownership question means that you adopt the attitude that you possess, but God owns. Think about it from this uh, scripture. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 to 16 says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in heaven and on earth are yours. 
You know, the verses we just looked at said, both riches and honor, back in First Chronicles says, both riches and honor come from you. Verse 14 says, for all things come from you, and from your hand we uh, have given to you. And verse 16 says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand, and all is yours. That's why frequently it, you'll hear people in, in churches like this when they're praying before the offering is received. You remember back before uh, maybe COVID when churches were more accustomed to passing an offering plate and so forth. Oftentimes you'd hear people that are praying, they say, Lord, help us now as we give back to you. You know what's coming, don't you? A portion of what you've given us. See, that's a reflection of what we're seeing here. When it comes to the matter of receiving, you need to settle the ownership question. That means that you possess, but God owns. Secondly, it also means that you earn, but God enables. You earn, but God enables. Think about this passage from Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18. Uh, It says, uh, God is speaking, and he says, You may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. So uh, other scriptures that we studied some in the Sunday school hour this morning talk about that there is a biblical command that we seek to be, that we work, that we seek to be productive. God made, designed us to be productive people. And particularly during the income generating years, God expects us to work in such a way that we generate income. But we all need to remember, regardless of what age we are, what phase of life we're in, yes, I can earn some money, but it's God who enables me to do that. Probably all of us can think of individuals about our age who suddenly were diagnosed with a disease that makes it impossible for them to now work or continue. Recently, a friend of mine, one of the leaders in the biblical counseling movement, a medical doctor who's done so much to help advance the cause of biblical counseling in the state of Montana, was diagnosed with a very rare form of leukemia. And this man who's been so productive and so fruitful and such a blessing to so many people is now fighting for his life at the Mayo Clinic. And as I think about my friend Dan, I just think, you know, that could be me on Tuesday this week. You know, one morning he just woke up and felt a lump and said, that doesn't seem right. And he went to a doctor and started down that path. And when I think of my dear friend Dan, I think, you know, that could be me any day this week. It could be you. So if you have the health, the ability, the capability to earn income, to generate resources, you need to be thankful for that. And you need to have a biblical mentality. Okay, I'm earning a salary, but God's the one who's allowing me to do it. And just because I did it last week doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily be able to do it next week, next month, or next year. You earn, but God enables. Here's a third factor in this matter of settling the ownership question. And that is to remember that you are God's 
So all you have is God's. Now this is, I'm talking to Christians now, and so for those of you who are maybe exploring Christianity, but you've not yet repented of your sin and pride and willfulness and trusted Christ as your Savior, I mean, we're certainly glad that you're here, but for those of you that are Christians, part of a biblical mentality is that I am God's, so if I'm God's, then everything I have is God's, too. Here's a verse that talks about that. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God with your body. So, think about, I'm God, so everything I have is God's. When a I think about that. One of my more memorable experiences as a pastor is a one time when I baptized a, a man named Jim in our church. And uh, he was a, a good bit older than I was at the time. And Jim had lived down in southern Tennessee, didn't have, I don't think he ever finished high school, and ended up in our town. And he was a custodian at one of the public high schools. And he and his wife, Bessie, the southern name, isn't it? Uh, and his wife, they're just the nicest people, but they were, they were called, they were what I would refer to as just simple people. And uh, very lovely, it was a joy and honor for me to be their pastor. Well, um, Jim confessed that he had become a Christian years ago when he was living down, in, down south, but he had never followed Christ and believers' baptism. And now as an older adult, he was convicted that he should do that. <clears throat> and so one of my great privileges was to help Jim prepare his testimony that he was going to read to the congregation. And then after he uh, publicly professed his faith in Christ, I baptized him. And uh, he was the last guy I baptized in that particular service. And after I f- finished with him and he left the baptismal pool, and I made some closing comments and dismissed the congregation. I went back by the, the changing rooms, and I heard Jim say, oh, no. And I stopped, and I said, Jim, what, what's wrong? What's happened? He said, I was so nervous. He said, I forgot to take my wallet out of my pocket. And so I said, well, here, let me get some paper. We'll start drying things off and everything. And I remember I'm rushing around. I'm all frantic about it and everything. And he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, Pastor, it needed to be baptized, too. Uh, And I thought, yep, he got it, right? If I'm God's, then everything I have is God's. Before we leave this, let me just encourage you to discipline yourself to think of yourself as a steward, as a caretaker. The biblical term steward is a word that's used to describe um, the fact that a steward is somebody who takes care of something that somebody else owns. We're a caretaker. So a biblical attitude toward our possessions, whether it's our house, our cars, you know, our motorcycle, our golf clubs, I mean, whatever you want to name, whatever your stuff is, but it's a stewardship. You're to take care of it. Uh, my wife and I, 
think that influences a lot of just very practical things. You know, for example, a stewardship mentality we taught our kids influences how you take care of your clothes. You know, we taught our kids a stewardship mentality means that when you take your clothes off, if you're uh, going to wear them again, you fold them up properly or hang them up, put them where they need to be. If they're not, they go in the dirty, home, uh, the, the dirty clothes hamper. They don't go on the floor. Okay? Uh, just stewardship. That's the way it worked about us. Um, you know, stewardship means try to get the oil changed in the car regularly. You know, take care of stuff, basically. I want to encourage you to foster that attitude in yourself. God owns, but he's allowing me to possess it right now. I'm a caretaker, and he can take it away anytime he wants to in a multitude of different ways. Can you think about how that mentality might help you at a time like this if you lived in one of the areas where these terrible fires are taking place? And if your home went up in flames, your car, that'd be rough. That'd be so hard. But wouldn't it help if you thought, you know, <laughs> I'm just a caretaker and uh, did my best. But it's not mine. You know, we, we, as Christians, we hold on to things with an open hand. Because I'm just a caretaker. Well, let's move on. <clears throat> We'll talk about what the Bible says about uh, earning income. Second, or point B in our outline, you need to work. It's God's basic way of providing for your needs. Think about this uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 and 12 says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to, attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we instructed you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Work is God's basic way of providing for your needs. Um, scripture teaches that that's, God designed all of us to be productive. Isn't it interesting that when God created Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 2, they're living in a state of untested holiness... And God gave them work to do. Man, even before sin, was given responsibility. He was expected to be productive. So a godly way of thinking means that, okay, I need to be productive. And I realize at different stages of life, you can be productive in different ways. And uh, some of you are maybe of a retirement age, and you're not working the way you did in your professional career and generate income, but you can still be productive. I mean, the, the world, life, can be better because of the contributions you're making. And oftentimes, it's through your local church. And just, you know, the number of people we saw honored and mentioned earlier with this event that happened yesterday. I mean, that's just a simple illustration of it. People being productive. God designed us to do that. Uh, I like that statement. God wants us to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. I mean, how much heartache in our world is because people aren't paying attention to their own business, you know, but wanting to, to mess with ours. The same theme is talked about in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 15. Since I'm talking about this matter of work, let me uh, 
touch on something that I said downstairs. For those of you that were in the class, uh, forgive this. One of the things that I have found helpful is that when I'm counseling people that are not working, and I talk with them about this passage, say, listen, God wants you to be productive. And when people are not employed that ought to be employed and being productive, sometimes they'll give you a variety of excuses about why they don't have a job or something. And uh, I picked up in my reading uh, the ABCs of finding a job. Here they are. A, any job. Just go get a job. And in my town, I assume it would be similar around here, but in my town, every business has got signs up. They're putting things on the back of trucks and everything saying hiring. And in my town, if you want a job, you can get a job before noon. All right? So ABCs of getting a job is just any job. Get a job. B, get a better job. Nobody will fault you for working a job and then having an opportunity to improve yourself, maybe by your salary, maybe by the, the, the work schedule or the kind of work you're doing and so forth. Improve yourself. Get a better job. C is career job. And uh, for many of us, if we look back on our career, our work experience, that's kind of the way it was, you know? A, when you're a teenager, at least for me, just any, anybody will pay me to do something, I was willing to do it if it was legal. And then later, you get a better job, and then you have a career. What I find in my counseling is many people want to turn that around. They want to start with their ideal career job. And until they get their ideal career job, they're willing to be subsidized by the government or uh, parents or somebody else. So work. It's God's basic way of providing for your needs. By the way, I will say to those of you that are parents, um, I think this is something to begin stressing with your children. And um, one of the things that Cindy and I found beneficial was to... Let me, well, let me back up and say it this way. In America, with all the people I deal with, the question is not, as a parent, are you going to give money to your kids? Every parent I know gives money to their kids. The question is, what vehicle are you going to use to get money into the hands of your kids? The most popular way of doing it in America is what's typically called the allowance system. And it's basically, you know, off the idea, okay, you live another week, we'll give you some more money. And uh, what we found beneficial in our lives as a result of sitting through some stewardship months is that uh, we decided we're not going to use the allowance system. We're going to teach our kids, you want money? Well, here's the way it is in the real world out here. You work. You do something. And we found, we started this when our kids were just young. And uh, we told them, we're not going to pay you for everything, but there are some things we're going to pay you to do. And it was areas where we wanted to motivate behavior and um, we taught them how to give and how to save and how to earn spending money. And so from early on, you can train children that if you want money, you need to work and do some things. And uh, we found as parents that was a much wiser way uh, to help teach the children how to uh, manage money. And it's hard to learn how to manage money unless you have some money to manage or mismanage and when you mismanage it, to have a, the ability to get enough money to try again and do better. All right, we've got to move on. Point C, 
Remember God's promise to supply all your needs. In America, part of our struggle is that we, con- we confuse the word needs with the word wants. We tend to say that I need a new car when in reality I want a new car. Or I need a bigger house when in reality I want a bigger house. Or I need new shoes or whatever. It can be applied to all kinds of things when in reality um, we want something. And there's nothing wrong with wanting something. Sometimes that can be a motivation to, to work or pick up a, some extra sources of income or something. You know, the promise of the scripture is, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I remember once I was observing a counseling session with Dr. Bob Smith uh, many years ago. He's a medical uh, doctor who is now with uh, the Lord. And a particular counselee was talking about um, her needs. And I remember Dr. Smith and the woman had quoted this passage that God would supply all your needs. And her complaint was that God wasn't meeting her needs. And Dr. Smith was challenging her on what, what she really needed. And uh, he kept asking, well, what do you need? And he said, well, okay. Uh, she said, well, I, I need a place to live. And he said, well, okay, I think we want a place to live. You don't have to have one. And she said, well, I have to, you know, have health. He said, well, you don't have to have health. And ultimately, it got down to this point. She said, well, I have to have food. And she said, that's a need. And he said, no, it's not a need. I mean, what happens if you don't have food? She says, well, I'll die. And he says, okay. And if you're a Christian... What's bad about that? Again, he was making the point that we tend to confuse wants with needs, when in reality they are just wants. Uh, In Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, Christ says, do not worry in verse 25, do not worry, verse 31, do not worry in verse 34, and he's talking about material possessions. Well, the Bible talks about receiving. Uh, The Bible also talks about this matter of giving. Uh, tithing was commanded in the Old Testament, and it serves as a helpful model for today. Um, and in the Old Testament, uh, just for the sake of time, I won't go into it, but basically the nation of Israel was commanded to give three tithes. One of the tithes was every like third year. So basically, the Israelites were commanded to, get, to tithe. And the word tithe simply means 10%. Uh, they were commanded to give about 23-25% of what we would call their gross annual income. But back in that culture, the tithe covered not only their governmental affairs, but also the, the worship center, the temple, uh, the, the priest uh, salaries, benefits, and so forth. It was commanded in the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Would anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Now, we don't live under the, New Testa- under the Old Testament law. The New Testament does not command tithing. But uh, the New Testament believers are encouraged to grow in the grace of giving. Uh, Malachi 3.8 talked about people robbing God by not just tithes, which they were commanded to give, but also the offerings, which were free will. They, they loved God and his work so much that they would choose to give. In our time, we're to grow in the grace of giving. 
Think about 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 8, where the scripture says, Now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to us in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Then he says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. And then in verse 7 it says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speaking, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired into you, look at this, see that you also excel in this gracious work of giving. I'm not saying this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love as well. I wonder if someone could examine your checking account. What it would say about your love for God and your love for his work through your church and other spiritual ministries. So the Bible talks about working or uh, about receiving and the Bible also talks about giving. The Bible also talks about saving. A couple of thoughts for you on this. The Bible says that we ought to anticipate needs. The Bible strongly encourages saving. Proverbs 21.20 says, There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Proverbs 22 verse 3 says, A prudent man sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive proceed and pay the penalty. One of the drawbacks of living in a culture where you're bombarded with credit card offers is that it's easy to get a credit card, but they are um, hard to manage, and it encourages living beyond one's means. When I was a pastor and conducting these annual stewardship months, one, uh, there was an organization, a secular organization in our uh, city that provided free financial counseling. So I made an appointment with the director, and I went down and just asked him, what, what are you learning from people? What are you seeing as a pastor? What kind of things do you think um, I would be wise to make my congregation alert to, or what resources are available? I asked him this one question. What do you see as the number one cause of people getting into trouble? And what do you tell them to do about it? He just nodded, slid back from the desk, pulled out a drawer, and held up a stack of credit cards cut in half. He said, here's the problem, and here's the solution. Cut up the credit card, and he says, teach people to start saving. Pay off the credit cards and start saving. Anticipate needs. Also, the Bible talks about investing wisely. Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In other words, two generations. And you can't leave an inheritance like that unless you have some resources to leave. The Bible is encouraging us to, to, to be involved in saving. 
Here, here's a well-known story that talks about this. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Christ is telling the story, and he says, The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. But his master answered and said to the, the worthless slave, you worthless, lazy slave, did you not know that I reap, did you know that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter seed? Then you ought to put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would receive my money back with interest. He called him a lazy, wicked slave because he did not invest wisely and didn't seem to seek to increase his assets through wise investments. Well, let's move on. A fourth area that the Bible uh, speaks that is so helpful to us in our culture, the Bible talks about some principles on spending. And the first one I'd want you to think about is the Bible encourages us to plan your expenditures. Uh, the verses that we just looked at refer to that. But here's a couple of other verses that you might consider. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4 says this, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. God is basically saying to us, plan your expenditures. Uh, here's a passage that's been very challenging to me. Uh, Proverbs 27, verses 23 and 24 says, Know well the condition of your flocks, and pay attention to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. It's calling us to manage well uh, the assets that we have. Plan your expenditures and manage them well. Also, when it comes to spending, the scripture would encourage us to evaluate potential purchase purchases with scriptural principles. Uh, Philippians 11, uh, 4 to 11 talks about this, and verse 13, of course, says, God will supply all your needs according to his riches in, in Christ Jesus. But think about Hebrews 13, verse 5, which says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor desert you. Um, it's not um, loving and enjoying possessions is not the problem. It's that when things become more important to us than God and pleasing him and living his ways. I'd also say as we're talking about spending, I just would remind you that the more you feed the flesh, the more it wants. Our flesh will never be satisfied. That's what Romans 1, 18 to 32 says. And, you know, you can get that new car, get the new house, new job, new clothes. I mean, just name whatever. But after a while, what you own soon owns you. And our flesh is never satisfied. Well, in conclusion, I want to just point out that the Scripture addresses four key areas dealing with money. The Bible talks to us about receiving, about giving, about saving, and about spending. And I would 
conclude with this reminder from Psalm 19, verse 11. In this area, on personal finances, moreover, by these truths, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Oh, I close with this um, story. There once was a rich man who was near death. He was very grieved that he had worked so hard for his money, and he wanted to be able to take it with him to heaven. So he began to pray that he might be able to take some of his wealth with him. An angel hears his plea and appears to him. Sorry, but you can't take your wealth with you, the angel said. The man pled with the angel to to speak to God, to see if he might bend the rules a little bit for him. The man continues to pray that his wealth could follow him. The angel reappears and informs him that God had decided to allow him to take one suitcase with him when he died. So overjoyed, the man liquidates a lot of his assets, buys gold, puts it in a suitcase, keeps it beside his bed. Wherever he goes, he takes his suitcase with him. Soon afterward, the man dies, and he shows up at the gates of heaven to greet St. Peter. Peter, seeing the suitcase, stops him and says, hold on, you can't bring that in here. But the man explains to Peter that he had permission. He says, check with the Lord, I had clearance. So Peter's gone for a little bit, he comes back. Sure enough, Peter comes back, says, okay, you're right, this is very unusual. He said, uh, you were granted permission to bring one carry-on bag, but I'm supposed to check it before you enter heaven. So Peter opens the suitcase to inspect the worldly items that the man found too precious to leave behind. And Peter exclaims, you brought pavement? It's going to be different. The, God's ways are just upside down from our value system. Let's pray. Oh God, help us to be the kind of people who hear and obey your word. And I pray that the preaching and teaching of your word regarding personal finances would help each of us to work diligently, to be good stewards, to hold what you've allowed us to possess with an open hand and help us to keep our priorities focused primarily on pleasing you and using what we have for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.